This is Dr. Dick Little's tape series on the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In this vital message, Dr. Little describes how you can receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. And now, Dr. Little. I'd like you to pray for me this morning because it is very difficult to try to take supernatural things and explain them naturally. Particularly when there's been a lot of um, misunderstanding, when there's been kind of an elitism that has gotten into certain things that are happening in Christendom. And rather than being grateful for what the Lord has done, sometimes people have sought to laud an experience over other people who may not have had such an experience. So I pray that you'd help me as I try to deal with this uh, this morning. You might take your Bible. I'm going to be going through the Scripture in different places, and so you just might keep your Bible open. You can start it at our text this morning, which is in Acts 1-8, and just turn there as we begin. Acts 1, chapter 8. I love the story of the preacher whose church caught on fire one evening, and he went down and standing there watching the church burn, he saw one of his inactive church members who was rather inebriated. And he put on his most self-righteous tone and he said, well, Brother John, it is unusual to see you at church on Sunday night. And Brother John quickly replied, well, Pastor, this is the first time I've ever seen this church on fire. <laughs> well, the late Dr. Lewis Evans, who for a long time was pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, he used to say, for so long, Christians have been subnormal that when a few of them start acting normal, everybody else thinks they're abnormal. And believe it or not, the church is supposed to be on fire. In Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. I am not even fit to remove his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, in the book of Acts, the Bible describes this baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says that Peter received a vision from the Lord to go to the Gentiles. Now, the Jews and the Gentiles were much like the whites and the blacks in this country. Not now, but in the past, and I fervently desire this to change. But back there was even worse because the Jews considered the Gentiles as little better than animals. And no way was the truth 
of the gospel to go to them. And God appeared to Peter and he said, I want you to go and deliver the gospel to the Gentiles. And if you look in Acts chapter 10, you really need to turn here, Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 44. It says, And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. He was at Cornelius' house, a Gentile at Caesarea. And he was speaking about the gospel. He didn't go there to give them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was absolutely amazed that that happened. He was just preaching. He didn't too much want to preach there, to tell you the truth. But he was. And he says, And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. Now what were they amazed at? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Now how did they know it? Because a manifestational gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now that upset people because that was fire, but a lot of the Jews in charge thought it was wild fire. And so they called Peter to Jerusalem. And Peter went to Jerusalem and he explained what had happened. You see, I do not believe in independency, not ecclesiastical independency, because you will not find it in the Scripture. Every church was accountable. And what Peter did was accountable. And he goes back to the church headquarters in Jerusalem and he explains what he did. And look what he said in chapter 11, verse 15. And before I get to that, I want to say this. I was a good, satisfied very much under control Presbyterian pastor. And I heard about this strange renewal in the spirit. And that didn't bother me too much. I always kind of believed in the Holy Spirit. I figured if he'd let me alone, I'd let him alone. You know, I mean, that's the way it was. I believed in it. Thought it sounded good. And yet I heard about all these weird things that were happening. There were getting to be other people like Oral Roberts, you know. I thought it was all right if Oral did it, but that was in a tent and all that, you know, not for Presbyterians. Then I heard about this thing of tongues, and I won't even tell you what I thought about that. And little by little, the Lord began to speak to me. And there was one thing that I was taught as a Presbyterian. I went to the same theological uh, seminary. I had the hardest word. Seminary. I want to say cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) Seminary. We went the same one. And one thing they taught us and taught us good, they said don't accept anything just because somebody has experienced it. Don't let anybody come and act righteous and you get enamored of them if you can't find it in the Word, don't you 
get on it. And I believed in that. And I said, God, I've heard about all this Holy Spirit and all of this. Now I want you to show me where it is in the Word. And guess where he took me? He took me right to the book of Acts. And I read about Peter. And I read about how God told him not to hate Gentiles. And he told him to go. And I thought that was powerful that Peter, and you know, Peter was no pushover. Peter was no milk toast. And yet Peter did it. And then some strange things happened and it wasn't the Pentecostal preacher that said it. It was right in the word of God because the Holy Spirit fell on them and they started speaking in tongues. Then I noticed he went back to the church in Jerusalem and remember I had been praying for God to show me in the word. And look in chapter 11, verse 15, when Peter is explaining to the church in Jerusalem what happened to those Gentiles. He said, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I did like this. I said, that's it. Because he said, Peter said, the Holy Spirit fell and he began to speak in tongues. And then when he goes back to Jerusalem, he said that when that happened, I knew that was what Jesus meant when he said that you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I said, it cannot be any more plain than that. And that's what got me involved in it. Not because I met a real religious person. Not because I saw somebody healed. Not because I heard wonderful stories. The thing that got me in it was it was in the Word and I could not dispute it. Now your session feels the same way because they wrote a statement concerning this and in this statement they say the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power enabling believers to operate through the fullness of the Spirit through overflowing praise and worship and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In 1973, Cardinal Sunan's Roman Catholic Cardinal stood before 25,000 people. Now, Time Magazine reported this, and Time called them Catholic Jesus people. <laughs> and Cardinal Sunans spoke about this, and he called it electrical. <laughs> he called it the current of grace. And he said it's running through the body of Christ and it ain't going to get no way but worse. No, that's not what he said, but that's what he meant. <laughs> and then your session comes along in their paper and they say, when we enter into this, we're not weird. We're not overly emotional. 
They say it is a normal occurrence when believers experience his outpouring. It is supposed to happen. And in Ephesians 5.18, Paul commanded it to happen because he said in the imperative in Greek, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? I'd like us to pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you'll open your bulletin, I've got there several blanks, and the first one has an R because I'm going to try to go through the process of how you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you have experienced this, and I hope this will be a refresher. Some of you have gone through this, but the whole time since you've had it, you've never led anybody else into it. So I hope that this will be helpful to you to do that. And then you may be here today, and you may not even know what I'm talking about. But I've tried to show you it in the Scripture. Now I want to show you how it happens. First of all, the R, which means repentance. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. We must examine ourselves before we come to the table. We must examine ourselves before we want any kind of manifestational blessing from the Lord. And we must confess all sin that the Holy Spirit brings to mind and we should seek for the fullness of the Spirit. Now, if the Spirit is going to fill us, then we can't have things in us that are blocking the presence of the Spirit or we won't get filled. So we have to. It's time that we started calling our lack of compassion, our lack of self-control, our lack of humility, our anger instead of gentleness, our bitterness instead of kindness, our unbelief instead of faith. It's about time we called it sin and began to deal with it as sin. And beloved, I think there are certain words that do not need adjectives. And I think accurate is one word that doesn't need an adjective. Something's accurate or it's not. I think truth is a word that doesn't need an adjective. It's either truth or it's not. And sin doesn't need an adjective. It's either sin or it's not. And when we recognize this is sin and confess it to God, the Bible says that he will forgive us and that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you're cleansed from all unrighteousness, you are a candidate for the filling of the Holy Spirit because he can come into a clean vessel. Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And I believe he's not just talking 
about charity or this kind of thing. He's talking about the work of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, the supernatural fruits of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. Now, let me say that I want to correct a misunderstanding. When I went to my church in Winston-Salem, I was very somewhat amused because I would run into people that told me they were saved 20 years before, but last week I received the Holy Spirit. And I said, pardon? Because, you see, the Bible clearly teaches if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. You don't become a Christian and then receive the Holy Spirit. That is just not correct understanding. In the 8th chapter of Romans, Paul writes, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But the Bible also teaches there is something else. Some people refer to it this way. This is not completely theologically accurate, but some people express it this way. They say you may have all of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of you. And that's a pretty good understanding. That's the best we can do. There's the need to be baptized or to be filled or to be empowered. I don't really care what you call it. That's not the big thing. It's the fact of whether or not this has happened. Um, One writer calls it the release of the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit has been bound up and then he's released, and I don't particularly like that. But anyway, whatever you call it, it needs to happen, and it happened. If somebody asks me, what do you think of this thing, baptism, the Holy Spirit, all that kind of stuff, I say if it's good enough for the apostles, if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. That's what I say. It was good enough for the apostles. When do you think the apostles became Christians? Have you ever thought about that? What is the definition of a Christian? Definition of a Christian is someone who knows the resurrected Jesus. That's the definition of a Christian. Now, when Jesus was incarnate and he was on the earth, he wasn't resurrected. So the disciples were not Christians prior to his resurrection. They were followers, and they weren't too steadfast. You remember when he got on the cross, where were they? Were they standing up, raising Cain? No, they were looking after number one, most of them. But then after he died and he rose, he appeared to them in the upper room. And the Bible says in Acts 20, 19, that he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means they were saved. That didn't mean they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit because if they had been baptized in the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, then he would not have said, wait until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he said that in the upper room and they were empowered that way at Pentecost And also at Pentecost, there was the advent of tongues. People heard people speak in their own language. There are several different manifestations 
of tongues and kinds of tongues, but they had a kind of tongue on the day of Pentecost, but that's when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. But notice it didn't end there. Now, there's some people that say there is only one experience and you don't need anything else. Now, the Pentecostals call it two blessings. They say that conversion is one blessing and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the second blessing and sanctification begins at the second blessing. The holiness teach that holiness begins at the second blessing. I do not believe that's biblical. But what I do believe is that there is more than one experience. Now, I really believe that if, if the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit had not gone into a tunnel, which is what it did. In other words, it's very clear that the disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is very clear that they received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But for some reason after that, they kind of got muted. Some people say they ceased, but there's not one shred of biblical evidence that will hold up under close scrutiny that they ceased because it was God's will that they ceased. No, that didn't happen. They did cease. And I think the reason they ceased was because they were not taught and the church went into a tunnel and it was really the beginning of this century before it ever came back. And then the Pentecostal movement began to flame up and this other experience began to take place. But let me tell you something. It's not just two experiences. It's a whole bunch of experiences because the disciples didn't just have two experiences. Now, Jesus breathed on them. They became saved. Then at Pentecost, they became filled. But if you, Pentecost was in Acts 2. Look over in Acts 4, verse 31. You'll find they were persecuted you know, maybe if we were more filled, we'd be more persecuted. Have you ever thought about that? We just kind of think the world is benevolent, you know. <laughs> they don't really give us a hard time. But maybe if we were more filled, we would be more persecuted. And I say that to Dick Little as well as I say it to you because Dick Little is not persecuted much either. But notice the disciples were. And then they were let out of jail and it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, they received the Holy Spirit in the upper room. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But then, three chapters later, they were again filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word with boldness. That could have been tongues, could not have been. I don't know, but it happened. Now, what about the Apostle Paul? Did this weird stuff happen to him? Yes, it did. First of all, Paul was a Hebrew. His name was Saul, and he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was going up the ladder in Jewish ecclesiology. And all of a sudden, he was on a road to Damascus. 
I don't think God does this to a lot of people. But see, he had to get Paul. He knew what Paul was. And so on that Damascus road, he saw a light. He heard a voice. And you know what he saw? What he saw made him an apostle. He didn't know Jesus when he was on the earth. But he saw the living Christ. And he had an encounter. And it cleaned him out. It really did. And he fell to the ground. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now that's conversion if you didn't know it. That's what happened. That's all you can do. You're not converted because you read so many Bible verses. You're not converted because you help the poor. You're not converted because you go to church. You're converted when you fall on your face and say, God, what will you have me to do? Here it is. Here it is. I want you. Now notice that wasn't all. Because Paul, it was such an experience. A lot of people pray that they can see the Lord. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to see the Lord. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't know if I'd ever get over it. I really don't. Paul was blinded for three days. And then three days later, he was in Damascus, and Ananias came to him. And God sent Ananias, and Ananias was like Peter. Ananias didn't want to go. He was afraid that man kill him. He didn't want to go. God said, go, Ananias went. He laid hands on him, and Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not conversion. He was converted on the Damascus Road. But when Ananias laid hands on him, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he received a manifestational gift. Now, it was not tongues, although Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. But he didn't then. The manifestational gift that was given as far as we know. We may not have the record of everything that happened, but we do know that his blindness was healed. And so he received the gift of healing. So it happened to the disciples. It happened to Paul. And I'm so glad that this whole thing was resurrected by the classical Pentecostals at the beginning of this century. And then as the century developed, God began to be good to us, and there arose what we call the Neo-Pentecostal movement that took this into mainline denominations, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and others. And by 1970, so many of the same people, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> what we thought. So many of the, you know, uh, what do you call it? emotionally stable, they would call it. <laughs> so many of them had gotten involved in this that our former Presbyterian church decided they better do something about it. And so the UPUSA, which was then the Northern Church, they published a statement in 1970. And this was the statement at their General Assembly. We cannot follow the view that the purely supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased with the death of the apostles. We know the misuse of mystical experience is an ever-present possibility, but we see no reason to preclude its appropriate use. We believe that when such experiences clearly result 
in new dimensions of faith, joy, and blessing to others, we must conclude this is what the Lord has done and offer him praise. That was the 1970 General Assembly of the Northern Presbyterian Church. It took the Southern Church a little bit longer to get on board. But the next year, in 1971, they came out with a paper on the Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you something. There's a man that will be here at the next service. He sits right up there. His name is J. Rodman Williams. And J. Rodman Williams had sacrificed having tenure and longevity at a Presbyterian seminary for the rest of his life because he experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then he became a persona non grata. But he still could have stayed, but he didn't. And he began to move in the Holy Spirit. He is now at Regent. But he almost single-handedly wrote the 1971 General Assembly Statement of the Southern Presbyterian Church on the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you why he did it. <laughs> because other people tried. <laughs> they really did. They tried hard and they couldn't come up with anything. And so they went to Dr. Williams because they respected. He made them respected because he's got the intellectual stuff. And they said, Rodman, we can't do this. Would you help us? And he ended up just pretty much uh, writing it, and in the 1971 statement that he wrote, it says, in the book of Acts, the expression baptism with the Holy Spirit and similar terms points not to the forgiveness of sins symbolized in baptism with water, but to the endowment of power. It is not necessarily identified with conversion. That, that might not sound real much to you, but it was a lot. And from that time on, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was permissible in the Presbyterian Church and certain preachers like me and this preacher and these preachers could stay in the church because of what that man of God did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Next time you see him, why don't you thank him for that? Would you do that? All right, how do we receive it? First of all, the R, that's repentance. Second of all, the A, and that is asking for it. Your session said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is available, but you've got to ask for it. The Bible says that in Luke eleven nine. 9, it says, And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. This is Jesus. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, not just somebody who has the right kind of emotional makeup, but everybody who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. And then Jesus made very clear what he was talking about because it goes on to say in verse 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So first of all, you've got to ask for it. So the R is repentance, the A is asking, the T what is that? John 7, 37 says, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So you must not only repent of that kind of junk that keeps the Holy Spirit out. You must not only ask for it in a definite way, just like you do for salvation. Nobody is saved unless you ask for it in some way or the other. And the same here. But then you've got to really want it. You've got to thirst for it. I was blocked in some of the manifestational gifts because I said to the Lord, well, Lord, ugh, if you want me to have that stuff, I'll have it, but I, you know. Then I wonder why I never got it. God is not going to give you what you don't want. Really, I don't believe that. Except sometime when he wants to get you somewhere. But anyway, <laughs> You're in rebellion, he wants you out. But anyway, <laughs> you've got to thirst. You've got to want it deeply inside. This happened to me about six months after I was converted. I was converted to the University of Alabama. That's a strange way to be, place to be converted, but I was. And then I went back to Davidson College, and about half the way through my senior year, I went to prayer. The reason I went to prayer was because I was serious. And I knew I had to decide what I was going to do with my life, and I knew I could mess up. And I said, God, I'm not asking you to make me a doctor, a lawyer, an Indian chief, anything. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And you know something I meant it? And God knew I meant it. You know, I thought I was so bad and I had evil thoughts and I had all this kind of stuff. I thought God's not going to. You see, all that, God can see through that. And he sees to where you are and when you really want him, you're going to get him. I believe that. And all of a sudden, something happened to me that had never happened before. Uh, it just like coming up inside of me and it was going out and I began to weep. I don't mean just cry a little bit, but, just, but it was joy. It was unmitigated joy. And after that took place and I began to pray in a different way, then this joy just flowed out and then God impressed upon me that he wanted me to preach the gospel. And beloved, that's what it's all about. The disciples didn't have their ministry until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't have his ministry until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, are you ready for this? <laughs> May get in trouble here. Jesus didn't have his ministry until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. You ever thought about that? Jesus grew up. We have him in the temple, and he was precocious. But that could have just been intellectual. I think it was more, but it could have been. But we never heard of the miraculous until he was baptized by John in, in the River Jordan. He wasn't baptized for repentance because he didn't need to repent, but he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. That's what the Bible says. And then the Holy Spirit descended on him, and then he had his ministry. For, so what is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Not so you can be holy. Not so you can impress people with your righteousness. The purpose is that you have your ministry. You find what God has for you to do. 
So first of all, repent. Second of all, ask. Thirdly, thirst. You remember, I don't think I quoted this in John 7. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. I remember the first time I ever read that after it happened to me and I couldn't believe I was in there. Repent, ask, thirst. And then the why. The why means yield. Y-I-E-L-D. Romans 6 says, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, presenting yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That means you make yourself completely available unto the Lord. The best definition I ever heard of that was from Juan Carlos Ortiz. I hope one day, have y'all ever had him here? I hope one day, he's the best, one, one of the best preachers I ever heard. And uh, he's from uh, Argent, Argentina, is that where he's from? I think so, Argentina. And he was in Argentina and they told him about power steering and power brakes on cars. And he said, what is that? And they said, well, the motor steers for you and the motor brakes for you. Now, Juan was pretty logical and he said, well, um, hmm, how does the motor know where I want to go? How does the motor know when I want to stop? And he couldn't understand it until he got in a car that had it. And the first time he tried to turn the steering wheel, he turned his womb like that, you know. And then the brakes were so much easier. He said, oh, I understand. I begin to act. And then the power of the motor takes over and helps me. Now, beloved, that's what it is for the Holy Spirit. You begin to act. You yield yourself. And then the Holy Spirit takes over and he enables you to do much more and do it much easier than you could ever do without the power of the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, these things start happening. The gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, the effecting of miracles, the prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'm reading that right out of 1 Corinthians 12. And when it talks about knowledge and wisdom and all those things, it says of the Spirit. That's not knowledge you get out of a book. That's not discernment you get from Emily Post. That's the supernatural stuff that you get from God when the Holy Spirit takes over. It doesn't make you weird. It doesn't make you better. It ought not to make you proud. It just makes you a vessel through whom God can work. Jesus said regarding the Holy Spirit, he shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. The reason for this gift is only to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul caught that, and in Galatians, I love what he says. He said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He got hold of that. 
You see, we repent, we ask, we thirst, we yield, and finally the R, we receive. Paul wrote to Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Then Paul told them that Christ redeems us from the curse of the law in order that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's wonderful. It's mighty. Everybody ought to have it. But you need to be cautious because if some folks that have become very spiritually proud of the gifts that God has given them, and that's been one of the biggest hindrances to other people. And then there's another thing that galls me. Everybody thinks you've got to act like everybody else. You go to a church and you see people do certain things. Well, if I was really spiritual, I'd do those things. And so you start doing them. Now, if the Holy Spirit leads you to do that, that's fine. But if you're sitting there and saying, how in the world can I get more spiritual? I just want to be more spiritual. How in the world can I do that? And you see other people and you begin to parrot things they're doing. I do not believe that honors the Lord. In 1885, the Quaker, Hannah Whitehall Smith, and you know Quakers are quiet people. It's harder for them than for Presbyterians, I'll tell you the truth. But she wrote this, Hannah Whitehall Smith, in The Christian Secret of a Happy Life, she says, it is far more than emotion. It means to be immersed or dipped into the Spirit of God, into His character and nature. The real evidence of one's baptism is neither emotion or any single gift such as tongue. Rather, there must be a Christ-likeness in your life and character. By the fruits of the life, we shall know whether or not we have the Spirit. It does not mean instantaneous holiness. After Pentecost, Ananias and Sapphira could still lie and cheat. So can we. In practical fact, she continues, our life with the Spirit is a walk, a growth, and unfolding as we learn to trust him and open more and more of our being to his presence and control. We don't swing from the chandeliers. And I don't particularly want to. They're pretty high up there. But what we do is we repent and we ask and we thirst and we yield. And we receive, not according to how good we are, but how good he is. I think it was about 35 years ago, there was a Presbyterian preacher in Miami, Florida, and he was getting ready to go to his Sunday evening service, and he walked through his uh, dining room, I think it was, and there was a piano, and he needed a song. He was tired of the songs and the hymnals. And so he needed a song, and he sat down, and in less than 15 minutes, he wrote what I'd like us to think about today. And I want you to turn to it in the hymn book. Don't don't turn in the hymn book. Please don't. (laughs) Put it back. (laughs) You know, I find in Presbyterian services sometimes, the Lord can be doing wonderful things till you close and you get the hymn book. But Dr. Iverson, 
Longtime pastor in Miami. Began his church. Began his church in a nightclub. And he wrote, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me. Mold me. Fill me. Use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Would you just bow your head right now? They tell me we don't let you experience God enough in our services. Right now, you got nothing else to do. Right now, I want you to experience God. Just experience Him. Say, Spirit of the living God, fall. Let him fall. I've just told you how. Repent. Are you doing something that God doesn't want you to do and you know it? You're in rebellion. Repent of that. Get it out of your life right now. It's not worth God. Ask him to fill you. Maybe you've leaped a little bit. Ask him to fill you. For more information on how to obtain other tapes of Dr. Little's messages or how to have him speak in your church, contact Dick Little's Ministries, 2539 Marymount Drive, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, 27106, or phone area code 336-765-2335.